well, we're in a series of messages on the Beatitudes that are actually an introduction to Jesus' larger sermon on the Mount. And today, five weeks into it, we have hit the midpoint and the very pinnacle of everything I believe Jesus is trying to drive home to us. And so you're going to see that today, this beatitude is no less radical than all the others that we've seen, which is why we're calling this entire series Upside Down Living, because it is all, all of it, is just so contrary to how we would naturally think and what we would naturally do. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and oh, I hope you have a Bible. It doesn't matter what Pastor Brad thinks. You want to know what God's Word says. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. So where is this midpoint or pinnacle of all the Beatitudes? Well, it's right there in verse 6. It's right there in verse 6, so that's where we're going to focus our attention today because it captures the very heart. It captures the very heart of what it means to be a kingdom person. We keep saying this. This is about kingdom people. To be a kingdom person submitted to King Jesus. So look at verse 6 again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, I want you to think about what we've covered so far. I want you to think about what we've covered so far in this series so that you can see how this is a turning point in the Beatitudes. We talked about poor in spirit, and we said that's not just they need some help. They need a handout. They need a boost. No, it's abject poverty to the point that you have to bow and what? Oh, was anybody here? Break my heart. Beg. (laughs) Beg. Bow and beg. And then we talked about mourning over your own sin. And last week, Pastor Brian showed us how in a posture of meekness. In other words, everything up to this point has been about turning away from yourself And any sense of your own self-sufficiency. But if it's all about turning away from yourself, that means it's about turning to something else. So what is that something else that we're supposed to be turning to? Well, the answer is in verse 6. In this fourth beatitude that I believe captures the heart of the Bible and captures the very heart 
of the gospel, which is why I think it's the pinnacle of all eight Beatitudes. You see, the first three Beatitudes all dealt with our own spiritual bankruptcy and desperate need. So that now, this fourth Beatitude is the desire that should begin to rise up out of a heart that truly recognizes this kind of desperation and bankruptcy. In other words, if I don't have what I need, I better find somebody who does. So how, here's the question today, how would you know if you're one of these hungry, thirsty people that Jesus is talking about in verse six. And I hope I don't need to convince you how important this question is. There is no, there's no greater question that you could wrestle with as a human being than this one. It's not who should I marry, it's not where should I live, it's not what career path, what education, listen to me. There's no greater question you could wrestle with than am I one of these hungry, thirsty people Jesus is talking about. So to help you think this through, I want to give you some cautions to consider. Here's the first. Number one, make sure that you're hungry for the right thing. In other words, hunger alone is not enough. Just hunger alone is not enough. You got to be hungry for the right thing. And here's what I've learned about myself and as I shepherd and pastor others. That usually takes some time. Not always, but often a person, man or woman, has to chase after so many of the wrong things and do it long enough, not just once, but do it long enough that you keep coming up hungry, empty, frustrated, dissatisfied until you finally, finally consider looking where you never thought you would find it, in total submission to and dependence on God. God. And stay with me now, because you can even make a mistake after you read this beatitude. You can read it wrong. We do it with other kind of books, but we do it with the Bible a lot. It's amazing to me how people read into it what they already think or want to be true. So you can make a mistake even after you read this very beatitude because it doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after blessedness. I want to be blessed. Bless me. Bless me. I want to be happy. But that's what we think. That's what we think. I'm going to pursue blessedness. I'm going to pursue Happiness. I'm going to pursue my own happiness because if I don't, who will? But it doesn't work. And some of you know this. Some of you are just now finding it out. And others of you will have to crash and burn on the altars of frustration in your relentless pursuit of your own pleasure and happiness until you also finally say, I can't get it. I just can't get it. I can't get it. Oh, listen to me. Anything you try to build your life around or center your life on besides God will be destroyed and will ultimately destroy you. Why? 
Because nothing in this created world was designed to bear the full weight of your desires. You'll crush a husband, crush a wife, crush a boyfriend, crush coworkers, crush a job, crush a church, crush, crush, crush. If you are going other places with the full weight of your desire, nothing in this world will fully satisfy and you'll end up destroying it or them and ultimately yourself in the process. So make sure you're hungry for the right thing. God and his righteousness alone that can fill your life and settle your heart. But now let me speak to some of you that right now are probably thinking, but Brad, I don't care about the righteousness of God. You're telling me that's what I should be hungry for. I'm not even interested. I'm not interested at all in that. How would that satisfy me? Well, then let me help you for a minute, if that's you. Let me help you understand what we're actually talking about here. Every human being struggles for righteousness. Because this Bible word for righteousness actually means to be approved. Oh, I bet I have your attention now and your interest. And that your heart is resonating a little more. You see, the word righteousness in the Bible is a word that means to be made right with somebody and to be accepted and approved by them. I don't know a human being alive that doesn't have that desire. We are hardwired for that desire. But this approval or righteousness that Jesus is talking about right here in verse 6 is an alien righteousness from outside of this world. It's not something within this world that's going to do it. It's an alien righteousness from outside of this world. You say, Brad, how do you know he's talking about people who are hungry for a righteousness that's outside of this world, something greater than here? Well, here's what I think he does that makes it clear that he's talking about something greater. Jesus uses... In this sentence, Matthew 5, 6, Jesus uses the Greek accusative case for the word righteousness instead of the normal, usual genitive case. Now, come back. I know I lost all kinds of you because I just talked about grammar. Doesn't matter that the Bengals are playing the Steelers. Come back. Come back. This is important. This is worth getting a hold of. Stay with me. Oh, this is worth getting a hold of. So, Here's what this means. In English, when we're using the genitive case, it would be like this. I want some bread. I want a piece of that bread. I've got to get some of that bread. That's the genitive case, and it's normal. This is very unusual. He didn't do that. If he put it in the genitive case, Matthew 6 would be saying this. These are people who hunger and thirst for some righteousness, got to get some righteousness but it's not what he did and the way he did this highlights as if he wants to focus on these are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness itself the whole enchilada they want the complete full robust perfect 
righteousness of God that cannot be found in this life. The approval and acceptance of God once and all for all that no one else here can give you. And there's two aspects of this hunger for righteousness that Jesus is talking about. First, these are people who hunger and thirst for the righteousness that God gives you in a moment by grace alone, say it with me, through faith alone, in plus nothing. The Bible has a big word for that, justification. Justification. To have your legal standing or your record made right with the God of the universe. In other words, the record of your sin is erased, expunged completely. Oh, but it's better than that. And the record of Jesus's perfect life and righteousness and keeping all of God's commands and never displeasing the Father is now applied to your account and given to you as if it is now your record. Yeah, you and me, both excited. (laughs) Somebody should say, thank you, Jesus. Here's the deal. Often when we say, we talk about, well, I have a record, I have a record, I have a record. We mean a negative thing. There's something I've done in my past and it still dogs me today legally. Let me tell you something. Every believer who is trusted in Christ has a record now. You have a record of righteousness that was not your own, but now it's yours so that the God of the universe who's holy, 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 when he looks at you, he sees you as if you have the righteousness of his son. Oh, my goodness. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That is Christianity. That is the gospel. So I grow weary of our culture that goes on and on and on about Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, all kinds of... There is no other religion like this. Christianity is distinct. There's no other place where you get... Oh, there's all kinds of religions that say, here's what God expects, get there. Here's what God expects, get there, get there, get there. Christianity says, here's what God expects. And then he took on flesh and he came and did it for us so that now you receive this righteousness by grace alone. You can't work for it. Through faith alone. And, and, and that's why the world, we cannot give in when they say, why do you make so much of Jesus? Why is it all about Jesus? That's so exclusive. That's so intolerant. No, it's so glorious that there's any way to be right with God. God sent his son. It's in Christ alone. Plus, as soon as you start to add to it, you just destroyed it. That's justification. These are people who hunger and thirst to be approved and accepted and to have a record of being made right. But there's a second aspect that he is talking about, and it's this. Well, wait a minute. Before I give the second aspect, let me show you the example of Paul himself. The, the testimony of Paul himself about this kind of righteousness. Jump over to Philippians 3. 
Turn with me to Philippians 3 and look at his testimony. No, I wish we had time to start in verse 1, but I'll just tell you what happened from verse 1 to 6. This is Paul, who was not a pagan. He was very religious. Paul ticks off, oh, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee. I kept the law. I was trained at the feet of Gamil. He is ticking off his religious resume as to why he always thought, I'm ahead of everybody else. I'm not like everybody else. Surely this would be accepted by God. I'll be approved for all this. But he was lost. Now listen to how he talks when he truly understands and has received the gospel of God's righteousness given to you as a gift. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted, say it, Loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things, say it, loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all. Now don't make a mistake here. Sometimes people go to this passage and they think he's taught about the loss of material things and houses and cars and he was shipwrecked and he was, all that's true, but he is not talking about that here. He is saying, everything I had in the plus column that I thought was a plus, was a gain, this is what I'm depending on, this is what I'm trusting in, this is the basis of my standing before God, I now count as loss. Oh, but he's about to stick the landing even stronger. All of loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage. Why? That I may gain, say it, Christ. And be, oh, here's a sweet phrase, and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness. This is all about trying to prove your own righteousness. All this religious stuff. Not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ and his final phrase captures the very heart of the gospel the righteousness which is from God God has to give it to me from outside of this world which is from God by say it faith that's the gospel Very different than religion. Justification. Justification. Let me ask you. Do you have this righteousness that Paul was talking about and that Jesus is talking about? Have you been justified? Has the record of Jesus become your record in a moment? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus Nothing. Oh, I hope so, my friend, because this is the very basis and ground of Christianity. This is it. This is what ushers people out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. If you don't have this, you might be religious, but you're still outside of the kingdom. But let me, 
point out this other aspect of righteousness Jesus is talking about. And I wish more Christians could get a hold of this because the Bible always keeps these two things together. They are not optional. They come in a package. They come in a package. So Jesus is talking about a second aspect of righteousness, and it's this. It's the righteousness that God calls us to. So there's the righteousness that God gives you freely as a gift, and you get it in a moment. It's called justification. And there's the righteousness that God calls you to, which is not in a moment, and is messy, and happens over the course of a lifetime, and the Bible calls that sanctification. Sanctification. Here's what it looks like. It is the pursuit of holiness and the hunger to be more like your Savior. But here's the, here's the danger. We've got people that want to push away from all that because say, oh, I don't need to pursue anything. I don't want to do anything because that sounds like works. Read your Bible. We're not pursuing holiness in order to achieve God's favor. We're pursuing holiness because we've already received God's favor and you've been awakened. You've been made alive. You're not dead. It's not lights out. You have new desires. Are you perfect? Will you still blow it? Do you still sin? Do you want to sin? There you go. It's both. I just want to scream at all the people with the little keyboards and Wi-Fi blogging away. Shut up. It is not just grace, 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 grace. Doesn't matter how I live. I can do whatever I want. Yes, and you will go to hell. You will hear Jesus say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Because people who have received the righteousness of God in a moment and know they're accepted and approved and forgiven have been set free from the chains of sin and they have a new desire. They have a hunger for holiness and a desire to be done with sin. They don't perfectly do it, but it's there. It's there. It's there. Listen to me, the distinguishing hallmark of kingdom people who have received God's righteousness in a moment is that these are the same people also who long to see that righteousness begin to show up in their everyday lives in practical ways as they want to become more like Christ and less controlled by their own sinful flesh. Kingdom people don't sit around saying things like this. Oh, I prayed a prayer and made a decision 25 years ago. I know there's been absolutely no change in my life, and here's the good news. There doesn't have to be, because it doesn't matter how I live. It's all about what I believe. Listen to me. If that's you, the Bible doesn't teach that. Kingdom people don't think that way. They don't talk that way. And they don't want to live that way because God has awakened them. They have new desires. What about you? Has God awakened you to a hunger for holiness and a desire to be done with sin? The one who has experienced justification in a moment is the same one who also has this new hunger for holiness, to pursue sanctification, to become more like Christ. If that desire 
hunger for holiness, if that desire is in your heart, you're probably in the kingdom and a Christian. If you're sitting here saying, I don't know what you're talking about, you're probably not. Here's what I think is interesting. I've been a pastor 32 years. I meet with people who just, ooh, they're worked up over whether they're a Christian or not. Have I done it right? Am I doing it? Uh, the people I sit with who are really worked up about lack of assurance whether or not they're a Christian almost always are. And then we got people over here that are just self-righteous, arrogant. I prayed a prayer, I threw a stick in the fire. Ah, I'm good to go. They don't even worry about it. They should worry, they should sleep good and settle down. The fact that you are meeting with me and you are all worked up saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I see, here's what, here's what happens when you're made alive. Yes, you see the glory of Jesus and you see your own sin in worse ways than you ever did before. And so you're like, oh, there's still just so much and I still fail so often and I still, the good that I want to do, I sometimes don't do. And who's that sound like? Do you think he was a Christian? I think so. Oh, it's these people who don't give it another thought and arrogantly think, I prayed a prayer, I signed a card, I threw the stick in the fire, hallelujah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, blah, 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 blah. I don't care about following him, pleasing him, living for him. I have no desire to read the Bible. I have no desire to be with the people of God. These two things go together. When you've been justified, made right, approved, you have a hunger for holiness you never had before and a desire to be done with sin that you never had before. Let me give you another caution. It's not just make sure you're hungry for the right thing. Number two, make sure whatever you hunger for leads you to do the right thing. Listen to me. The human heart is so hardwired for self-sufficiency and works, works, works. Give me a list and I'll do it. Show me some boxes and I'll check them. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I'll do it. We are so hardwired for that that there's actually more than one way you can screw this whole thing up. Yes, you could be hungry for all the wrong things in this world. And we touched on that. But I want you to understand, because of our sinful hearts, you could be hungry for the right thing, the righteousness of God, and then do the wrong thing in how you go about trying to get it. What am I talking about? This you could conclude, I desperately need the righteousness of God. So far, so good. But then decide, well, I see Christians going to church. At Grace, they get into a community group. They serve. They give some money. They read different books. They have different friends. And you could conclude, I need to go to church. I need to get in a community group. I need to change some of my friends. I need to clean things up a little bit. I need to read some spiritual books. And if you head down that path, and people do, You'll either be crushed under a load of guilt or you will burn out from Christian busyness as you try to achieve a Christian life and earn God's favor and righteousness instead of receive it as a gift by faith. And here's what it sounds like. I hear it often. Here's what ends up happening. If you head down that path, You'll eventually throw up your hands and say, it doesn't work. 
I can't do it. Christianity is exhausting. I still don't have peace. I still don't have rest. I still don't feel accepted and approved. And here's why. Because you still don't have the righteousness of God. Because it's only given to people who come to the very end of themselves. And bow and beg for it as if their life depends on it. Knowing there's nothing I can do. Now I know it can be confusing to you. Because we see Christians then going to church. And we see Christians gathering in small groups. And we see Christians reading their Bibles. Yes, please do all that. But we're not doing those things in order to become Christians and earn his favor. We're doing those things because we are Christians. And we love him and love each other and want to become more like Christ. That's the difference. Ooh, people need help with this. Be careful. So here's how I would say it to you. Please do throw up your hands. But throw them up to Jesus and fully transfer all of your trust from yourself to him in childlike faith. Like little kids in the crib just throwing their hands up when they see you coming. And in that moment, the righteousness of God will be given to you by grace alone. Say it with me. Through Faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. Nothing. And since Jesus used the metaphor of hunger, let me take a minute to drive this home to you. Because I don't think we get this here in America like we should. A person who is starving or dying of hunger does not plant a garden and begin to hoe it and water it and weed it. They don't have strength for that. They would die before they got their first harvest or ate their first meal. The hungry person Jesus is talking about in verse 6 is the person who begs for food. They don't plant a garden. They don't start a soup kitchen. They don't try to cook for themselves. They simply look to someone who has food and they bow and beg for it. Now, if that offended some of you, and I suspect that it did because the human heart is so proud, there's got to be something I do. I, I got to bring something into the equation. God meets me halfway. Then let me remind you where we started. Where we started. This really is bringing us back to where we started in the very first beatitude. The, the, the word for poverty, poor, that Jesus chose was not one that meant they're a little disenfranchised, a little behind abject poverty so that the person is forced to bow and beg. A Christian is someone who begs God for the food of righteousness as an absolute gift because they know they can't do anything to work for it or pay for it so they bow and receive it as a gift and let me tell you what's in the way of some of you it's not just our sin that we have to be willing to repent of you know what we also have to repent of and this one's harder our own righteousness Some of you, your biggest trouble is that you have not snorted cocaine yet, that you have not been sexually immoral, that you have not embezzled from your employer. And I'm not saying go do that next. (laughs) But I am saying 
your lack of outward, obvious, heinous sin often keeps you from doing what you have to do to receive what Jesus has taught about. Bow and beg, but you struggle to get down there and see your need because you don't see yourself as bad as you are. You just keep thinking about your own righteousness and what you haven't done that others have done. At least I haven't. And there's a whole bunch of the Ten Commandments I haven't broken. You need to not just repent of your sin. You need to repent of your self-righteousness. Because Isaiah 64 says, you know what God thinks about your righteousness? It is as filthy rags. Only the righteousness of Jesus makes you approved and accepted with the God of the universe. And you only get it by grace through faith. Let me give you a third caution to think about. Don't treat this hunger as optional. In other words, what Jesus is talking about right here is not peripheral to the whole Christian life. It is central. But one of the reasons we don't hear what he is saying in this beatitude as urgent and shocking as it truly is, is because hunger and thirst don't grip us here in America like it does in some other places in the world. And it certainly doesn't grip us here in America like it did to this first century audience when they heard him speak this and they live in a parched, arid land. And regularly they bumped up against the possibility of starvation. Regularly they bumped up against, I don't know when I'm gonna get my next drink of water. We don't live like that. We've got it so good here. We know very little about being really hungry or thirsty. But in the ancient world, trust me, this metaphor, when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, this metaphor gripped them with a sense of life and death urgency because they knew what it was to be hungry. And they knew what it was to be really hungry. Thirsty. You see, a working man's wage in that day in Palestine was one denarius a day. Listen to me. That was not a wage you were going to get fat on. The average working man in that day ate meat once a week. Ate meat once a week so that he was never, she was never far from real hunger or actual thirst. And the concept of thirst was even more critical to them. Because think about it. No one just walked into their kitchen and turned a faucet and got clear, cold drinking water. Clean. In a glass. No. That was not the day they lived in. At all. And when they traveled, oh, they didn't jump on the interstate in air-conditioned cars. When they traveled, they were constantly in jeopardy. Because they traveled in an arid land in the middle of high, hot winds that could just whip up at any moment, filled with blowing sand and temperatures of over a hundred where you would just wrap a cloth across your face and you would be gasping, wondering when you would get your next drink that you so longed for. So get this. 
When Jesus spoke this beatitude in verse six, he was talking about a desperate hunger and thirst for righteousness from God because you realize if I don't get it, I'm going to die. I'm gonna die without this. In other words, there's no hope for me apart from him. Now let me ask you, never mind, I don't want you to flip back through the photo album of your religious activities and experiences. Right now, I want to ask you, has there ever been a moment in your life, a spiritual moment, that you have truly come to the point that you thought, if I don't get righteousness from God, I'm going to die. I have nothing. I can't keep the Ten Commandments. I could never earn this. So I will bow and cry out to him for it in desperation. Have you ever had a moment? like? And those moments, here's what you need to realize. Don't comb over your prayer. Did I say it just right? The words that come out of the mouths of people who reach that point can sound very different. Some people just say, oh God, if you're real, here I am, take me. Oh, that's not right. They're not talking about the gospel. No, he sees your heart. What he's looking for is desperation, end of yourself. I could never do this. You are my only hope. I'm transferring my trust to you. The words that come out of your mouth can be very different. It's not a formula. But it is a heart of desperation. I will die if you don't give this to me because I cannot work for it. I cannot pay for it. When you come to that point in your life, you're not just curious about the righteousness of God. You're not just mildly interested in it for a discussion or a research project. You hunger and thirst for it as if your very life depends upon it because it does. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his excellent commentary on the Beatitudes says this, and I quote, this beatitude is the logical conclusion of the first three. And it is something to which we should all be profoundly thankful and grateful to God. Oh, listen to this. I love this and I agree with this. I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. In other words, this whole matter of, am I Christian, am I not? I don't know. Uh, If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. Kingdom people hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. And then they hunger and and thirst for it to show up in their lives in practical ways because they so want to be done with sin and they have new desires, new way of looking at the world, new way of seeing people around them. And that's what I want to hit as I close. So far, everything I've done was to try to help you examine yourself and see, are you in the kingdom? Are you a Christian? But my final point, I want to turn us out. And I hope to help you see the people around you differently. Here it is, number four. 
Don't ever forget that disinterested or even hostile people are still really hungry people. What am I talking about? I'm talking about all the unbelievers around us that you work with, play with, live near, who look like outwardly, right? We see them, who look like outwardly, they are somewhere on the spectrum between apathy and total disinterest to hostility and rage against the gospel and Jesus. But here's what I want you to understand, because the Bible teaches it. Every single one of them, without exception, regardless of where they are on this spectrum, are born hungry for a relationship with their heavenly Father and for this righteousness we are talking about. Because it's the only thing that will ever satisfy you once and for all. This innate desire that we have to be approved and accepted. And the reason it's the only thing that will ever satisfy and there's nothing else like it in this world is because this approval and acceptance that's given to you is given to you on the basis of another, not you. So therefore you never have to worry about losing it because it was given to you, not because of you. And therefore it can't be taken away because of you because Jesus, your savior, never changes. Now I hope that helps some of you that just keep combing over your lives. Yes, I agree with you, you're a mess. Yes, I agree with you. You don't deserve to be a Christian. If those are your thoughts, but I'm not a, yeah, you're horrible. All of us are. Get over it. That's not how you find assurance. What that means is when you, when you understand and you have this righteousness, it means that for the first time ever, you can truly Rest, because you're not trying to prove yourself and you're not trying to hide yourself from anyone else. We do a lot of proving and hiding because you know, I've been accepted by the God of the universe and it's on the basis of his son Jesus who never changes. Wow, I can get over myself, I can move on, I have a freedom. See, this doesn't cause you to settle in with yourself, it frees you up to love God and love others. And listen to me. Achievement, money, awards, recognition, and even academic brilliance can never satisfy this hunger of the human heart to be approved, to be accepted, to know your creator. Dr. Robert Jastrow served for over 20 years as the director of the Goddard Institute for Space Studies of NASA, as well as being the author of the most widely used astronomy text in the United States. So this man doesn't lack for some approval, some sense of I I matter, I've done some things, right? Listen to what he says. Quote, just as I cannot believe that there was a creator, I also cannot believe that this all happened by chance which implies there was a creator. You see, I am in a completely hopeless bind, and I stay there. 
Again, I find it hard to believe that this, this is all a matter of only atoms and molecules, so I try to fit into my concept of the world the conclusion that there was a larger force of some kind, which we can call God or call it whatever, but I find that I cannot accept that idea. I am a materialist. I believe the world is entirely made of material substances, and when you specify the atoms and molecules and laws by which they interact, you've done it all. There's nothing more to be said or inserted into your model of the universe. But I find this unsatisfactory. Do you hear the hunger and the thirst? And then he goes on to say this, quote, In fact, it makes me uneasy as I feel like I am missing something. And I will not find out what I am missing within my lifetime. Oh, how I pray in the mercy of God that he will. And that he'll realize it's the righteousness of God that can only be found in his son, Jesus, that's given freely as a gift. Julian Barnes was an atheist at 20 and an agnostic at 60 with numerous best-selling books, including his autobiography that was titled, Nothing to be Frightened of. And New York Times voted that best book of the year, yet he opens his book with this striking sentence. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Do you hear the hunger and the thirst? You see, that honest sentence captures how millions of people are living today. Even if they don't realize it's God that they're missing, they know they're missing something. So don't be intimidated by disinterested or even hostile people because they are still hungry people. Atheistic philosophers like Nietzsche can declare the death of God, but they cannot eliminate the hunger for God that is in every human heart. It can't be eliminated. It's there. It's there. It's there. So never forget that seemingly disinterested people and even hostile people are still really hungry people. You see, now, Brad, what's your point? I have a point because it breaks my heart again to see how some Christians talk and act and blog. Get this. Don't hate them. Don't rail against them and don't attack them. Oh, but they attack us. I know. Jesus said they would. Oh, they rail against us. He said they would. They misrepresent us. He said they would. I wish he told us what to do. He did. (laughs) Luke chapter 6. Love them. Pray for them. Bless those who spitefully use you and speak to them about Jesus. Here's what I want you to get fixed in your mind. And I try to do it myself. Get it fixed in your mind. We have to be willing to risk their hostility in order to expose their hunger and point them to Jesus. I know I've talked a lot about being hungry. 
So let me jump to the end of the Bible and show you how this is going to end because we're not going to be hungry forever. Hallelujah. Oh, you're not going to be hungry forever. I know you are now. See, right now we're kingdom people living with this tension of the already but the not yet. A condition of satisfied yet still hungry for more because we're not home and we're not in the presence of our Savior and we haven't lost this suit of sin. Oh, we long for more. We long to be able to obey him better. We long to know him more and see him more and praise him more and serve him better. And it is coming, the day is coming when this hunger will be swallowed up and satisfied forevermore in the presence of our King Jesus. So let me show you what that great day looks like. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. After these things I looked. And behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white Robes. There's other places in the Bible that tell us what that robe is. It's a robe of what? Woo! Yeah, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Skip to verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Will be with Jesus, the most glorious being in the universe. Oh, but watch this. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. Oh, he is not talking about physical food to chew and swallow It's that greater hunger that we've had and that greater thirst that we've had. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming back to take us to a place where you'll never hunger or thirst again because we're in his presence. But even now, we have a robe of righteousness that he's given us, that he purchased for us by dying on the cross and rising from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and hell and death. So unbeliever, I'm so glad you were here today. The church has actually And multiple ways throughout history confused what the gospel really is. It's not that you don't smoke. It's not that you don't go to movies. It's not that you don't play cards or or date girls who do. It's sad how it's gotten lost. Today I've done my best to help you know what is the gospel. Why did Jesus come? And what is your only hope for real life? Come to Jesus as you are. Come, come, 
come to Jesus today for the gift of righteousness that you cannot achieve, but you can receive as a gift by faith. You don't need to shake my hand, walk this aisle, put money in the box, join the church, get baptized, right where you sit. God sees. If you have that heart, maybe for the first time, you're like, I've never truly understood this. Maybe for the first time, you're like, I've never truly even wanted what I've heard. Listen to me, my friend. That want is a gift from God. Don't squander it. You may not always. Today, if you hear my voice, today is the day of salvation. Put your childlike trust in Jesus. Transfer all your trust from yourself to him. And right now, in this moment, you'll receive the righteousness of God. Approval, acceptance, security, love, purpose, You'll have new eyes to see our world in a new way. And believer, hmm, stay hungry for holiness. Not out of duty, but out of devotion to the one who already solved your biggest problem. And you know, I've been approved and accepted by the God of the universe. Therefore, here's what it does. It frees me to live with reckless abandon in loving God and loving others because I no longer have to push me or protect me because it's just not all about me. I'm able to live for another. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for this righteousness. Thank you for our Savior. And thank you for being so merciful and gracious. Oh, Give this good gift of righteousness to those today that have been religion. Some have been pagans, and they need this gift. Some have been religious, and they need this gift. Oh, give this gift today. And for believers, settle those who need to be assured that because they've been hungry, because they've been poor Because they've been willing to beg and bow, they can know they're in the kingdom and can begin to live for the king. We thank you in Jesus' name.